Well, I am rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I think this is the first week that I was not in love with this show. Interesting. The first episode alterations I thought was pretty decent. The second one I thought was just kind of a mess. It, uh, I will agree with the second one. It has a in, – in, in some ways the second one is culminating the Hell House plot and it's, it's going a little further into the who is this new altar and what is going on with Tara. But it's true given especially some of the revelations that we have in this first episode, um, the second one is a little lighter. It, well, it's a little lighter, sure, but I also... In terms of content, I guess, I mean, rather yeah. than tone, obviously, it gets fairly... <laughs> but, I, but I also think that, that one of the problems with the second episode, and I kind of noted this while I was watching it, is that Tara does a really good job at ending scenes on some sort of resolution note, and yeah. that episode scenes just kind of stopped before anything happened, and it was very abrupt, and I think that... Partially, I think it was intentional, but it didn't really work that well in, that's, in practice. That's fair. Now, the first one, it, I, I don't remember exactly what the credits. I think the first one was written by Diablo Cody and the second one was not. Is that, I believe so, yes. Yeah, because the phrase booby buddy is very much. Yeah, a, there's, I mean, <laughs> I, there's like a couple things in the first episode. There's booby buddy. There's melanoma sexy. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that has that's the Cody-ism. Diablo Cody ring to it. So, yeah. I mean, I liked alterations a lot. I, think I really that it, like it in what it does for Charmaine. Yeah. I like I like very much what it does for Buck. I mean, one of the it's best when it is treating these alters as actual people. Yes, I think so. I mean, one of the one of the things that I like about both of these episodes, actually, and the you know the the first episode features Buck for most of it, and the second episode features Alice for most of it, is that. You know, number one, we'll need to talk about sort of the revelation that Alice controls the altars or yeah. something, which is kind of weird. But also the fact of the matter is, like, Alice is treated as a real person. Um, you know, at the very end of the episode, the whole the whole thing with the second episode is that Alice thinks that she's pregnant, even though she's not. And no one wants to tell her this because, frankly, you know, I think there's a degree to which none of the people in Tara's life view the altars they they kind of view the altars as real people and they kind of don't. Well, everybody and, you know everybody knows, for example, that Al- Alice in Tara's body is not actually pregnant. You know when Charming you know gives her the test and it turns out to be negative. No one's surprised. Um, and it seems easier to just go along with Alice's fiction that she is yeah. in fact pregnant because she's going to go away at some point. <laughs> And also, I think that on some level, Alice knows she's not really pregnant. Well, it's as uh, it's as the therapist says, she's worried about what uh, Max is learning about Tara. And I, I think the therapist says she worries that you could not love something as monstrous as this new altar. So very literally, what's happening is Alice is in a baby trap with Max in a way. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think that the very end of the episode goes a long way towards humanizing Alice because, yeah. you know, Alice is not um, one of my favorite of the altars. But this episode in particular, especially at the end when, you know, Alice Tara gets her period and she's crying in the bathroom and Max is comforting she has her. A miscarriage, yeah. Yeah, it's a real moment. And, and it does show that Max, at least to some degree, I mean, Max is comforting Alice because, you know, Tara is his wife, but also he does, I think he does care about Alice in as much as Alice is important to their lives because she's in their lives because of Tara. Well, he, I mean, he very deliberately says, I love you, Alice, while he's holding her. And 
you know, that's a very sweet moment in the context. It is both of these episodes have characters connecting with an altar that they never expected to, in a way. Yeah. Uh, uh, much more so between Charmaine and Buck. And I don't know. I, I very much get the sense from that episode that this is the first time that Charmaine's ever spent more than a minute around an altar. Yeah, I think so, because of the implication that I'm kind of getting, and it's a little bit unclear as to what exactly the timeline is, uh, you know, something happened to Tara. She was sexually assaulted or raped or something yeah. by, by this guy. Um, uh, Trip Johansson. Trip Johansson, yeah. Yeah, so and, uh, she was at boarding school for high school, and I think the her roommate mentions that they were like 16 at the time. So Right, and so the implication is that Tara and Charmaine never really lived in the same house yeah. while the altars were in existence because the the rape was the precipitating event for Tara's DID. She was at boarding school, then she assumedly went to college. You know, so there were sort of like things that are going on that Charmaine yeah. was not really like in a situation where she was having to deal with the altars on a day-to-day basis. You also get the sense more that Obviously, her family interacts with the altars more. Charmaine most likely saw, oh, God, Tara's doing her weird things and just left the room. Yeah. So we we talked in the first episode about how how can Charmaine act like she doesn't know what these altars are around? You know, how can she think this is just characters that, you know, Tara is playing? And again, if she's not spending extended amounts of time with them, she hasn't probably spent an entire evening with one of them and seeing that, oh, no, this is actually consistent. This is actually... Well, because it's really interesting because the, the, the scene that strikes me in the first episode is that, you know, uh, uh, Charmaine has this um, surgery to fix her breasts, her skew nipples, and everything goes well. And, you know, Tara was supposed to take her home and take care of her and put on romantic comedies, which sounds horrible, but whatever, I'm not a woman. And, or I'm not Charmaine, <laughs> which, thank you. And, you know, Buck comes out and there's this really there's a scene in it where they're both sitting on the couch which mirrors the moment from a couple episodes ago where Marshall says to T, you know, are you my mother? You know, yeah. why are you in my mother then? And Charmaine says something very similarly to to Buck where she says, "Are you Tara?" Yeah. And and I think this is kind of one of the first times that Charmaine is like you said spending an extended amount of time because she spends, you know, 12 hours with Buck or something. And she is confronted with the reality that Tara is not there. I I think one of the really significant moments for her especially is after uh after Tara transitions back when she's, you know, when Buck is washing uh her hair, uh Tara immediately gets sick from the cigarette smoke just all of a sudden after she transitions and that's a very you know, Charmaine notices that and she actually she at that point is has been able to begin to connect to Buck. Yeah, because I think that that Charmaine, that is a very important scene too. Because of course, to some degree, I think Charmaine has never seen Tara actually transition yeah. before, and this she sees Tara transition back into herself from Bach, and it's a it's a really interesting moment because I think that Charmaine looks at Tara, you know, coughing and and, and spitting up in the sink and saying, "I hate cigarettes. You know, they make me yeah. sick." You know, and she was seeing Buck smoking them the whole time. And it's kind of this interesting moment where she's realizing that there are different physicalities to the altars as well. Yeah, there must be a completely different energy in the room based on. Yeah, well, I mean, and there is. You know, I mean, we haven't talked about Tony Collette's 
you know, acting in a couple weeks, but you know, she, she is still doing a, a, a very difficult acting job and she's doing a very, you know, particular thing. Yeah. I mean, when she transitions into Buck in this episode, she's still, uh, again, I think we've talked a little bit about how important clothing and props kind of yeah. are, but at the same time, her face completely changes and she's buck, you know, it, it, it's obvious that she's in. And also it seems to me that, um, it, especially, you know, she actually transitions slightly differently when she's going into the different altars as well. I haven't noticed that yet. Yeah. Like when she transitions into buck, it's a little quicker and it's a little more, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just a little more masculine, I guess. Mm. Whereas when she transitions into Alice, it takes a little bit longer and she seems to be almost fainting. And, it, you know, it's kind of like this thing where it, it, it's almost like maybe the altars are, in a sense, I don't know if Tony Collette is trying to get this across in her acting, yeah. but it's almost like the altars are trying to decide which one is going to come out at that <laughs> moment, you know? Well, you know, I, I, going partially from the credit sequence, which is her mind as this house, you almost see... Uh, you, the different ways that they would, you know, kind of go downstairs and exit the house. And right. Well, I think especially this is a good time to talk about the revelation in the second episode that that Alice says that she's quote unquote in control of the altars. And yeah, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means she's the gatekeeper or if Alice is just lying. Is she, in a way, she thinks of herself as everybody's mom. She kind of views. T T and Buck, she views as kind of her charges, and you know, yeah, they're they're her responsibility because you know Buck is crazy and you know, he has all his problems and he drinks, you know, and she's got you know he's fun. I like that Alex likes Buck, but yeah, <laughs> but you know he at the same time he is Buck and he can't really be expected to you know Alice very much has the well he's a man he can't take care of a house I only I can do that and T is you know obvious you know she's totally not under control um right and I think that you know there's there's kind of this implication in the first couple episodes that Buck is sort of this agent of chaos which isn't really true you know I think T yeah. is more that definitely and I think especially in, the, in in alterations where you know Buck is is there he shows up for Charmaine he's he, yeah he takes care of her you know he's washing her hair I mean, you know he is <laughs> He is doing things that indicate that he does care about these people. And it, it, I think to, to some degree, of course, since these personalities are manifestations from Tara's own brain, I, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know the scientific, yeah. you know, uh, underpinning of DID. I don't know if this is something that actually would, would really happen. I don't know if alters are ever really dangerous, but it, it's possible certainly that I guess they could be, but Buck is not that person. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's it's interesting that again we're going with the theory and based from this psychologist, and I definitely want to talk talk about her. There, yeah, she becomes uh, uh, very distinct in these two episodes. Yeah, and you sort of get the impression that she's perhaps a little bit incompetent. Well, what a, you know, she really reminds me of the therapist from Groundhog Day. Do you remember when he's oh, like, "Oh yeah, listen, I mostly work with." families have got an alcoholic you know you could tell this is, i mean this is in overland park kansas now from what i've read about overland park a little bit it's actually a city um it is yeah and it apparently in the past particularly around when this show was being filmed it kind of grew very quickly a lot of mcmansion type houses and it's, things yeah a lot of people like tiffany apparently just moved into the area it's it's a very um I would not say, well, upscale perhaps is not the right word, but it, it has money. Yeah. It's a, it's a moneyed place. So you get the sense this therapist as well. She probably mostly deals with, you know, 
depression issues or, you know, this is probably the first, you know, case of DID, especially this severe that, I mean, she says at one point I've been reading and educating myself on this. So lately, she says lately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is not. And, and of course, Max is takes a brunch at that. And he's like, uh, lately. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think she very much means well. I don't think she's a bad therapist. And I think for a but but at the same time, Tara's case is particularly special and, you know, does would require somebody who maybe has a bit more experience. Again, the show is going to deal with this theory of the therapist that there was an initi- initiating incident which yeah. caused these alters. And the alters are the way that she deals with certain – in a way, they're tools for certain jobs that Tara herself finds too difficult to do. Right. And- well, I think that's true. I mean maybe incompetent is too strong a word. I think it's more that – She's, this this is a little above her pay grade. Yeah, she's punching above her weight on this, and which is you know that's that. I mean, it, it makes me wonder like where Tara found this therapist. I mean, I, you know, it's it, it, the, from what we hear from the beginning of the show, she was on medication for this. We don't know what medication it was, yeah. but some sort of antipsychotic or something like that. That you know, you don't necessarily have to take. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be like schizophrenic to take an antipsychotic, but. It is something that she was taking that was pretty strong medication that was sort of making her a little bit disconnected from reality, a little bit of a zombie. And so she stops taking the medication. And maybe the implication, I don't know, is that she didn't start seeing this therapist until then. Well, you know, I this is something that I don't know about DID, but I know that most schizophrenics – it. The idea that schizophrenics can be can benefit from a therapist, a psychologist, is radical and something that most psychiatrists don't believe in. They, a lot of people do not believe that schizophrenics can benefit in any way from seeing a traditional therapist, and so they're just medicated. I don't know if that's how DID is treated. In other words, if they felt that you know seeing a therapist is not going to help her at all, it so could be. Yeah, it could be that yeah, her talking to this psychologist is. You know, is a new attempted treatment. I mean, there's still so much that we don't know about yeah. mental disorder, and frankly, neither of us are you know co- yes. competent or, or, or to really discuss it, you know, eloquently or with any sort of uh, uh, knowledge or but, expertise. But the thing is, you know, to to another degree, I think this therapist is a little in that boat too. She's yeah, she can certainly educate herself much more quickly and thoroughly than you and I could. But. Well, you want to, you want to talk about costuming and hair. I mean, yeah. even the way that she is presented in these episodes mm-hmm. makes her seem frazzled. You know, her hair is kind of frizzy. Her clothes are a little frumpy. You know, it's not that she's uh, uh, not put together or something, but, but just, a, she's a little bit, frazzled a little bit unkempt in a way that is not obviously unkempt i mean she combs her hair you know but but it does make her seem a little bit out of her element just in that way she's dealing with some work stress right now yeah yeah so i guess i mean let's talk about i want to talk more about charmaine and i want to talk more about um a lot of the issues in the episode about um, sort of body image and, and and the way that those things are presented yeah. because I think that there is you know I, I think that that alterations is a much stronger episode than abundance um, and one of the reasons why I think it is it has this very nice thematic through line where you know the episode starts off everyone's looking at themselves in a mirror you know Max is sort of like sucking in his gut yeah. which you know kind of doesn't exist frankly but he's you yeah. know any he's, excuse to see him lift up his shirt <laughs> he's a man of a certain age who's maybe drinking a little too much beer you know well he's he's at that point where I mean they're supposed to be in their mid late 30s at this point so yeah, yeah. he is 
he's at that point where his body has changed. He's not a kid anymore. But speaking as someone who's thirty five, going on yeah. thirty six, yeah, I can't eat the way I used to. And and you but know. that's all still very new to him. So yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, Charmaine is obviously, uh, you know, she's the main uh, feature of the episode, as it were, because she is the one who's going to have this surgery with Dr. Pete, (laughs) which I love. I love how hilariously odious he is, but at the same time, he does prove to be a good doctor, so... But at the same time, you know, Charmaine is obviously having these issues surrounding her body. She's not feeling comfortable in it, partially because of her breasts, but I think also partially because... Women just are not comfortable in their bodies. I mean, frankly, I don't think that people are. And I think that that's one of the reasons I like the fact that the show does portray Max as vain as well and worrying about his body because men do as well. I th- yeah, I think the episode makes it uh, – the, the, the show goes on the opinion that it, it maybe manifests in different ways. And certainly a lot of – a lot of Charmaine's body image issues come from she again she was the reason she needs this surgery was not because she was born with them it, she had had a husband who pressured her into getting breast surgery was this, it a husband or a boyfriend I thought she said husband okay. but it, either way a, a man Boy, boyfriend kind of makes it worse actually but yeah. <laughs> either way a man uh, made her you know influenced her to get this done it was botched he left her and now she's Which, dealing with this and so i guess you know it, it it's clear that there are it's much less likely that a man would be in that particular position than a woman i guess is one of these shows yeah i hints, mean but at the same you know which is not men, dis- men don't get plastic sur- well i don't know if i want to say that i don't actually know but it seems like men don't get plastic surgery as often as women but, I mean, you, want, you need to take that a step further, though, because, yes, Charmaine is having corrective surgery to fix a problem with her body that yeah. she feels is impacting her. But, at the same time, the problem was caused by her having cosmetic surgery in the first place. Yes. And someone who is comfortable in their body is not going to have cosmetic surgery. If somebody who was comfortable in their body may have noticed a few more warning signs with this guy, for example. Right, exactly. So, yeah, no, it, it, it is a very – she is stuck in a very vicious cycle. And uh, in a way, I think Charmaine believes that getting this corrective surgery is going to be the way that she breaks out of it and is able to – especially having seen her parents recently and having all of this. Yeah. She, she is just sick and tired. And so this is, I think, her attempt. This is her – yeah, you know, we're so I guess we're going to see are Charmaine's lopsided breasts her excuse or were they just what was holding her back and now she does have that extra burst of confidence she will to just get what she wants to get what she wants yeah we'll see I mean because the other thing too that I like about the episode thematically is that you know the body image stuff really works with Tara as well because Tara is comfortable in her own body but. She's not comfortable in her own. I mean, if you could say that she's not comfortable in her own mind. Mm. And if you look at the way that you know you mentioned earlier about how the altars are really defined by costuming and sort of body language and things like that, the altars, in a sense, are are costumes that Tara is wearing, in a sense, but also that they are very comfortable in Tara's body. And so this whole idea of of sort of body dimorphism or Mm. or, or whatever the term is um, and that kind of thing I think is interesting because it really does kind of highlight the ways in which Tara is using her own body and the ways in which the alters are using Mm. their body to define who they are. Well, to take that on a tangent for a second, this is reminding me of that conversation when Charmaine, Tara, and uh, Tiffany are at dinner and – 
you know, Charmaine rather dismissively says, you know, oh, she had sex with a guy she didn't want to, yeah. you know, refer to in a way that suggests, you know, I, I think we mentioned this at the time, that suggests that this has happened to Charmaine a couple of times and going with her general psyche to me, it maybe gives the sense that, you know, she said yes to guys she didn't want just to not be alone in a way. And kind of further that, this is such a violation to Tara I mean, the the only other person we know she was with is Max, who is, you know, yeah. kind and supportive and all of those things. So uh, it, it makes it, I don't know, like the, the, that. Ma- yeah, I mean, Max is kind and supportive. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about Max, I think, all throughout the, sh- the, yeah. the series so far. Because Max is kind of a cipher. You know, like we don't know that much about Max's internal life. And I think that we're starting to see some yeah. of that in this in this episode or these two episodes. Because he does go well, now he to, has secrets. Well, now he has secrets. He's going to see Heidi, mm-hmm. who was hilarious because she was an actress in the show Looking, and I was kind of expecting her to to like play the same character, <laughs> which is kind of weird. I just had a problem with that. But you know, and she's very like, "Well, what's going on here? Are you getting divorced? Yeah, you, you want dirt?" And he's like, "No, no, 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 nothing like that." But now he has this secret, and then of course, once he is telling Tara about the altar, the new altar that he saw, whose name we reveal, who who finds out when you know Alice says her, the name Gimme at the end mm-hmm. of the second episode, it, that's what precipitates Tara to transition into Alice at that point. Yeah. So uh, you know, Max is sort of not responsible for that, but. Him keeping secrets and him like going off and trying to get a hold of the therapist over and over and over again. I mean, the first couple minutes of the episode are are just a montage of him calling the therapist over different points of the weekend and being like, are you there? I don't know if you work on the weekends. Are you there? She's I don't know. We have to do this. I need to tell her. I don't know, because on the one hand, I I, when when he does when when finally uh, Alice meets the therapist, the therapist has met an altar. And after they're, you know, talking, uh. She she's very upset at him because she had told him, look, we'll go into the situation. We'll tell her together, you know, this can be a calm. I can mediate, you know, yeah. we can, you know, try and mitigate any a- any emotional damage to her. And, of course, she's very upset with him for just telling her straight out, She, you know, in a non-controlled environment. But at the same time, you know, dude, I, I feel like maybe the therapist should have returned a phone call and just, you know, reminded him, look, you know. Because I mean, in this th- this episode, she mentions to, she suggests that he see a therapist, and you know she which which is true. I I think is good advice. Yeah, uh, but I guess you know. It's she, a, but that's the thing. I mean, it's not appropriate for Max to be this involved. No, um, I guess it's it's. I I don't know. She she already realizes that he's dealing with this stress poorly. And I I don't know. Like I feel like it's on both of them in a way. Well, I mean. Both of them, you mean Tara and, and Max? No, Max and the therapist that, you know, I, I think... I don't know. I mean, I think that the therapist is doing what she can do to mitigate the circumstances of the mm-hmm. situation. I don't know to what degree the therapist knows enough about DID to know whether or not this is a crisis moment. I can't really yeah. blame a therapist in Overland Park, Kansas for not answering phone calls on the weekend because she's not a heart surgeon. No, she doesn't work at an emergency room. It's true. I mean, and I guess when I say, frankly too, it's, it's, 
it's inappropriate for Max to get this involved. Yeah. I mean, you know, the therapist does tell Max things and discusses his wife's condition with her, and he really yeah. shouldn't. She really should not be doing that. And I think it's that too- when she realizes that when she tells him that he needs to go find her, his own therapist or suggest that he yeah. needs to see a therapist, that that is her way of correcting her bad call to discuss this with Max in the first place without Tara. Yeah, I mean, I it, I guess when I say it's on them, I, I, I this is kind of a clusterfuck situation in a lot of ways. It's There's no real good way out of this. Everything is kind of bad right now. And so, you know... Th- Th- things are kind of bad, but in a way that is not that bad. Well, it's not like anybody's life is in danger right. right at this moment or anything, but at the same time, you know, Max is dealing with stuff that he doesn't know how to deal with. Tara's dealing with stuff that she's not really dealing with quite as well at this point. You know, they they have this appearance of this new altar that they don't really know anything about. Uh, the therapist suggests that, you know, it's going to be animalistic, which, you know, seems to go with what we've seen but again we we talk about whether we don't know if alters can be dangerous or not um buck and t can be dangerous due to their due to their own carelessness but right. not in a you know they're not going to you know go psycho on somebody but but i guess let's not forget and this is kind of a callback in the second episode as well that that alice yeah. did essentially attack kate well you know i and, and i think they're making it clear that they're not you know, when an alter, you know, when Alice attacks Kate, it's the same way that it's not because of a mental instability that's causing, you know, the alter to be violent and dangerous. Right. It's more in the sense that, you know, she's inflamed Alice's passion, just as everybody has moments where they're going to act irrational because of, you know, emotional stress. So I, I, I guess it's from that view. You know, yeah, that's true. I mean, we don't know enough about the new altar to really say with any with any certainty what really is going on. But I think at this point, that's kind of where the characters are. They don't really know enough about this altar. I guess we'll have to find out what happens. We will. Let's talk about the kids. We haven't talked about them very much. Mm. Kate doesn't have a whole lot to do in the first episode. Um, Marshall has a little bit more to do. They do have. horrible conversation where Kate is giving Marshall all sorts of terrible advice about how many games you should play and how you should play them and act disinterested if you like somebody. And she has a very, yeah, she's very inch. When Kate acts big sisterly, it's interesting, but I I don't think she has, she's not trying to sabotage Marshall. She's she's not doing this. But but there is an element of gleeful malice to it. She's yeah. Kate Kate has a wicked sense of humor at times, and I think she is very to a degree. I think she feels like she's oh so wise, and you know oh little Moosh is you know having his you know and otherwise older sister. I'm going to tell everything about how to manipulate men. Like that's how she's kind of. Viewing that, I don't think she's being necessarily cruel about it. I, but I think, I think the situation with the genes starts to bite her a little bit, uh, and she, you know, which is not to say that you know she's. I I think she's getting she gets into a situation with Jean that's a little. That's, well, that whole thing is just icky, but it, it's it's getting worse, and so I think maybe she's beginning. You know, she realizes by the end of the second episode, okay, maybe I actually 
don't know, you know, know quite as much as I thought I did. And, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of more where her advice is coming from. Like, it's it's a very naive worldliness. I, yeah, sure. I think that, that, I mean, she does mention that Charmaine has a copy of The Rules in her bathroom, which, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know what The Rules is, isn't that basically like the... That you have to wait three days before calling yeah, him, and, you know, stuff like that. It's one of the, this. yeah, one of those very mid nineties. You know, it, it 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 number one paints Charmaine as being, you know, in her mid early mid thirties, and you know, having had this as her advice in, you know, in her twenties when she was first dating, and you know, it, it, for for anyone out there who who may be a teenager listening to this, and also you should not be listening to this. You should be listening to this uh, if. Someone likes you, it's not going to wait. They're not it's not going to matter yeah. how long you wait to call them. And if they don't like you, you can wait forever and it's they'll never it doesn't matter. So just don't wait. Yeah, but I mean but, that's that's a cynicism about dating that I I think comes from getting, you know, oh, I've been on so many dates and you know, men are all the same and you know. And that's the kind of world weariness that Kate is affecting in this. And I well, think yeah, she but is I, one of the beginnings of Kate's character arc here is that she's really like, no, these are actual people. Like, I can't just, you know. Well, and also there is an implication that Kate is getting a lot of her knowledge about men and dating and sex and relationships, not from her mother, but mm. from Charmaine. Yeah. Not exactly the best person <laughs> to get relationship advice from. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if Marshall necessarily thinks that she's giving him good advice, but he's also 15. He's got his first crush. He kind of tries it for the hell of it, and it does happen to work, so he thinks. So he thinks. We don't really know. I mean, there's still some vague... There's vagueness about whether or not Jason is actually gay or bi anyway, so... Yeah. Maybe we'll find out if he is. I don't know, but it is... A weird thing that's going on with them yeah especially i guess i don't like that subplot in this episode maybe well i mean it's a side of kate that fits with her but i don't necessarily like i guess well the whole the gene stuff is hard and i think we're going to have to grapple with it but i want to move away from that for a second and just talk about marshall because especially in the in the second episode where you've got this whole like pretty established subplot where Marshall thinks that the pastor is talking to him because he's got a crush on his son, but it really turns out that the pastor knows that he has not accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And Marshall is relieved, but it is a very strange subplot because it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And that, I think in general, that's my problem with abundance where none of the subplots really go anywhere i mean, I mean yeah I, marshall is kind of like in in stasis which kind of makes sense because when you have a crush on someone when you're 15 it's not like things are progressing and, yeah you know, it's not like something that really progresses at all uh, it, yeah I, but, I i think even if it turned out this guy was gay i don't think marshall is quite ready to consummate that relationship either but well, i mean they could make out a little bit yeah but you know it's going to be ner- nervous and terrifying for him sure. but you know it's I mean, the, in these episodes, I'm still not 100% clear to which, you know, Marshall is, has been able to tell his parents he's gay. Because, I, again, I think I seem to remember him coming out at some point. But He does come out at some point. I, I, it, but I well, think, I think your read on the situation is a little different. Because my read on the situation is that Marshall has never formally come out. Yeah. A lot of, 
a lot of gay kids now don't for, ever formally come out, which and, I think is a good thing. Yeah, they, and don't, they don't need to. And Marshall is of that generation. There is that. He others, is gay. Everyone yeah. knows he's gay. He knows everyone knows he's gay. But he he's, he doesn't formally come out because he doesn't have to. Yeah. And so what I think what you're remembering is is I don't know exactly. I think it's the second season. and He does come out to his father at some yeah. point. His father is just like, yeah. yeah, okay, what do you want for dinner or something? And I think that's more for Marshall than for yes, everybody else. Yes, I, I guess that's the what he is. So, so he 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 hasn't made that final step. And there is that really interesting thing where he's talking to. I just want to correct the the like you know the implication that Marshall is closeted or that, no or no that, yeah, like, yeah 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 everyone doesn't know he's gay. I mean everyone knows he's gay. They're treating him as if he is a gay teen. I mean it, you know but they but he hasn't had the actual conversation. No, but, but he again, does, but that's the thing. He doesn't have to. It's like yeah. I think it's it's a little bit of a mental block that you have because you come from an age when you had to come out and marshall is not of that generation but i mean and i'd go even further as to you know even after i came out it was a very long time to where i would actually be able to talk to my parents about you know someone i was dating you know so even there was that you know even an acknowledgement beyond that there is that interesting conversation that he has with jason where he's saying go labels you know who cares who's what and obviously he's trying and i think there is an element of he's trying to be gay without being gay in a way, gay without being labeled gay, and he is going to eventually deal with, you know, what the identity of being gay is, I think. Yes. So, watch this space. Let's talk about Gene. Okay. He's a creep. Oh, yeah. He is uh, maybe a stalker. He has those tendencies. Mm. He writes terrible poetry. <laughs> he is abusing his position of authority. Yeah. He's 25 or something yeah. and dating a 16-year-old, or he thinks he's dating a 16-year-old. He's had sex with a 16-year-old. He's had sex with a 16-year-old. I mean, whether or not that's statutory rape in Kansas, I have no idea, but you know, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. You should not have sex with a 16-year-old when you're 25. And I'm coming out strongly against that. Okay. Um, very controversial statement, I know. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I don't know really what to say about it because it's so obviously bad and it's so yeah. obviously a terrible situation. And Kate is so obviously above her head here. Well, that's over her head. Again, again another person who is punching above their weight. Um, but again, I think that's the flip side. Again, when I, I, I don't want to make it seem like Kate invited Jean to be this creepy. Dad, no, 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 no. But no. I think she also kind of viewed this as. Well, you know, I'm Kate. I'm much smarter than everyone else in the room. I think she has tendencies to where she can be that person. And she's yeah. realizing that she perhaps, again, got into a situation that she doesn't quite have control over, didn't quite foresee this. Again, she's young. and Yeah, and I think I think the, the, the key scene there, of course, is when they're in Jean's office and she's giving this spiel about how, yeah, kids, we don't date. We just hook up. Yeah. And we don't care. We never talk to the person again. And you know, you just need to get over it. And she is. She's being very uh, naive because she's yeah. like, I'm the smartest one in the room. And, you know, Gene is totally going to buy this. And, you know, Gene is 10 years older than her about. Uh, he immediately sees through that. And he's like, mm, yeah, I, I think, you know, you're going to get fired now. Yeah. And it is a moment where I think Kate realizes that, A, she is in over her head. And also, B, that Gene is, Gene is a creep. Yeah. And also that Gene is abusing his power and that he is not as stupid as she thought he was. Mm. And all of those things are true simultaneously without it being Kate's fault at all. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and 
I think it's very interesting, a little sad, and that in you know the next time she goes into his office, she's very meek. She begs for her job back. She that's the first time that we've really seen Kate meek, and it's very disturbing because that's not who she is. Yeah, I mean, and part of me is thinking as a you know as somebody in my thirties. Well, if I were a situation that bad, well, gee, you know. She can get another job in about five minutes. You know, she'll just go to a different uh, kind of restaurant like right. that. Yeah, you know, no, everything. You know, her, maybe she's in a small town, but she can find something. But I think the implication is that because she does mention at one point, she's like, "The, the Barnabys isn't within walking yeah. distance." So the the kind of the implication, of course, is there that like, she's looking for something that's looking walking distance of her school, which probably limits it quite a bit and that's you know that is fair too but she doesn't have a car she doesn't have transportation so it is an issue there yeah i mean the whole gene stuff is just gross and you know i i the actor who plays him is uh nate cordry is that right okay who's uh uh, cordry's father (laughs) who's uh uh, rob cordry's uh brother okay so he plays a creep very fast. I mean, yeah, he's very oily. Well, th- this this situation is going to develop a lot further. Well, we're just going to have to see where that goes. We will. But if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed. I'm glad we finally saw the, the Hell House, though. I mean, we're not going to talk about that. The Hell House is awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Had great it. production values. Yeah, I, I, I would go to actually see one of those. And I, I love how Alice has the kid playing Jesus, you know, bless the baby, and he's just kind of doing it. <laughs> Why not? Hey! I got the implication he kind of wanted to fuck Alice. Well, wouldn't you? No. If you were Jesus? No. I am Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, the Hell House is what it was. Well... If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of the United States of Terra, or even United States of Terra, because there is no the in the title that we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, if you enjoy our podcasting endeavors, including our other podcast, Trekabout. Next Tuesday, we're talking about uh, the DS9 episodes, The Reckoning and Valiant. So you want to see that or hear that. Uh, so just go to patreon.com slash show and give us a little bit of money. And as always, don't forget, please leave us a positive iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, we're getting close to the end of the first season. Ah. Yeah, we've got four episodes left. So we're oh, talking wow. about episodes 9 and 10. Possibility and betrayal. <gasps> that does not sound good. Mac, why do you?